Welcome back to the United States of America, everybody. Today, it's all about haters. Because I'm here to tell you that your doctor does not want you to be fit. As always, I'm three-time Mr. Natural Olympia, two-time Mr. Natural Universe, Brandon Lirio, here with my permanent co-host, Super Shadow Band, and... Uh, Mouthpiece for all the downtrodden on Instagram, Layla Pollock. Say hi to everybody at home, Layla. Hi, everybody at home. Or in your car, wherever the hell you are. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. I, I thought it was great. I was like, they don't listen at home. They're in the car like, fucking guy, gotta take a right. Um, so, the reason we're bringing up today's topic actually comes from many of my competitors that will get injured during their prep or... The doctor will see what their caloric intake is, right? Layla's been in this position on the receiving end of my plans. And the first thing I tell people is, if there were a registered dietitian out there or a primary care provider who would look at what you are doing and what your intake is, they would rear back in horror at what we do as a sport. Simply because medicine, as it relates to doctor's priorities, is meant to do one thing, keep you healthy, and keep you moving. Healthy would be a general populist statement. And the problem is what we do in the fitness industry and what people do when they really, I don't want to say get addicted to fitness, but when they have this close identity in terms of their personal relationship with fitness is they sort of take it to the extreme. And I've always accounted it in terms of being the safest and healthiest addiction that you can have. And I'll ask you just the same way my wife has asked me in the past. Layla, would you say that your relationship to fitness is 100% addiction? Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's 100% healthy. I was going to be like, fuck no. Absolutely not. Um, you know, I've said that myself many times before, that it, it kind of is an addiction. It kind of is an addictive personality thing to do. It's very obsessive. And you feel compulsive about it. Is it 100% addiction? Yeah, I don't know. About I'll make it easier for you. I'll ask you the question like this because my wife asked me. We saw somebody who was... Yeah, ask me the question how you want me to answer. Ready? <clears throat> okay. I got to look I gotta look at you with nicer eyes. <sighs> yeah. So let's say, hypothetically, you go to the doctor after having an accident and they tell you you cannot work legs anymore because there's something wrong with your spine. However, there's still a high probability you could aggravate that injury if you lift upper body at all. Would you be able to 100% go home that day and go, well, I guess I'm done with fitness? No. Couldn't do it. Also, I know, I know pro competitors with that exact story that became pro after the doctor told them to stop working out. Yeah. Right. Meaning that the dopamine release and how they saw and felt their results from whatever their journey was in fitness was so intoxicating and ingrained in their everyday life. They could not, I say they, we, we could not say no to including that in what we do in our daily basis and our schedules. To me, which is why I admitted to her, I would absolutely argue that this borders on what most people would refer to as functioning dependency, meaning 
I need it, but the vast majority of my day goes about unaffected by it, other than the fact that if I didn't have it, I would feel worse. And arguably, what we do, what did you call it? Functional dependability? Dependency. Arguably, being desperate for your own validation is the most healthy obsession you could have. If anything, it is more beneficial the way that we are depend. What was it? So your your functional dependency would be on the need to do the uh, the act itself. So your functional dependency is, I can go about my daily life as normal, but the best way for me to do that and to feel okay in terms of like health wise, because when we say health, like focus, you're loose, your mental state is there, your anxiety is low, is by engaging in this activity above everything else. If I have this thing, I can still do my other jobs, my life, my whatever, but if I didn't have it, my life would be negatively affected by it. And I know this isn't where the topic is supposed to go, but it's like, arguably, this is the one type of dependability that will only seem to benefit you in every other facet of your life. You'll be able to work better and smarter and last longer and you're going to think more clearly. Like, you're dieting and exercising for fuck's sake. You said that after the example was that a doctor told you not to because it could negatively affect you and you said st- that I'm not listening to them then. Can we talk about fat doctors? Let's do it, right? So when we're talking about doctors not wanting you to get your gains, not wanting you to be fit, I have to concede this idea that most doctors err on the side of caution in terms of saying if there's a worst case scenario to be had and it's above a decimal point of percentage, meaning that it's like 5 to 10% and not a tenth of a percent, they would need to tell you legally and and moral, moral obligation that this is, hey, there is a side effect here. The negative does exist. My issue with all of that is sort of what you just said in terms of fat doctors, where if what the problem is is a minority decision of there are a very, very small amount of people. Larry Wheels is in the news right now because he had rhabdomyolysis, which for those of you who don't know and are not well-versed, you work out so much and your recovery in terms of your intake and rest out of the gym is not enough to balance out the breakdown of your muscle fibers, so you working out literally poisons your liver. And if you don't catch it in time, it could kill you. But most people catch it because you feel like absolute garbage. It happened to Dana Lynn Bailey. It happened to him. But the thing is, is like, it's a very rare thing. Of all of the professional athletes that I've known in bodybuilding, in CrossFit, in Strongman, those are the only two that I can think of in recent memory, which is very weird because they also just so happen to be enormous mouthpieces for the fitness industry. But I've heard there are some people that like stumble into CrossFit for the first times in their life. And that kind of makes sense if you go through like a ridiculously hard CrossFit workout. But yeah, chances are you're not going to work out that hard. Don't worry about it. You, you and I have always been in the in the camp of that most people are not eating correctly and that that intake matters to whether or not you have this higher probability of being negatively affected by something like fib- uh, uh, rhabdomyolysis. I always want to say fibromyalgia for some reason. Anyway, um, 
So when we talk about the, the airing on the side of caution for doctors, this is where I feel like our recent podcasts on homeopathy and stuff like that have kind of grown is because doctors are erring on the side of caution so that you will just survive and have a relatively long life. And our dependency on what we do based on whether it's healthy for us mentally or physically or whether or not what we're doing, looking at Layla and myself, is deeply ingrained in your personal identity um, does not factor into their decisions on whether or not what they're telling you is and isn't. But if you listen to any of the talking heads in bodybuilding, they all sound the same. You got to work harder, you know, 25 hours a day, eight days a week, man. This is what it takes. And so if you take a look at these specific subsects of mouthpieces, they all have a narrative that they're saying. Whether or not they're healthy for you or not, the doctor one in terms of the fitness industry kind of irks me a little bit because if you went to a doctor and you had a shoulder injury, they wouldn't say ease off overhead pressing for a while, right? They would say don't go to the gym. You and I both just admitted that if they said that, our mental state would immediately go into the shitter if we if they if we listened and we're like, I'm not going to lift at all. I mean, yeah, like cut and dry. Oh, you have this thing that you really like? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't do that. And not only that, you can do it, right? Do legs, do back, do whatever. Just don't do X. I wish was a, a better answer, right? Because for the doctors you've been on record saying that they give you all these pills and stuff like that. Their first reaction when they're fat, right? I, I don't want to hop on the I hate Ozempic train because I believe that there are subsects of the population that it could be very good for. However, if you're not already in therapy for whatever is causing you to have a food dependency or you're not speaking to some nutritionist or registered dietitian to try and fix your diet, the first stop shouldn't be the cardiologist to get Ozempic, right? That's what we do. We we click buttons for quick fixes and slap band-aids and that's, yeah. I agree with you in the sense of it's 100% a immediate gratification thing. I need instant gratification. I don't want to do the changes. I want to just have the result. Right? Yes, I don't, yeah, yeah. Nobody argues with the destination, but everybody like fusses about the path to get there kind of a thing. Right, you which know? is hilarious because, man, me and you are like this right now, dude. We're, we're vibing because what I was just about to bring up is that even the diet field itself is different roads to the same end. And everybody is so focused on how one thing or another is better or worse or is a blood type diet for me or should I do intermittent fasting? And it's like, dude, you haven't stuck to any of these things. Yes. That's what I tell you all the time is like, Hey, once you get the fucking basics down, then start worrying about optimization. But until then, what are you doing? I love when people ask me about intermittent fasting and I say to them, okay, tell me your diet. And they go, well, as soon as I wake up, I'm starving. Gotta eat. And I go, okay. And then they go through their diet throughout the day. And then they go, and if I cut off my meals too soon throughout the day, I just get hungry at night. And that's when I start to snack. And I'm like, okay. So what you want to do is craft a window that no matter what, time frame wise, would need to cut out one of those meals that you just said is integral to your mental and physical state. And I'm not saying it's not possible. 
because Layla and I have both said on this podcast that you sometimes just got to harden the fuck up and do the hard work and then everything else kind of cascades after it. But Layla has also talked to me multiple times about how previous preps were seemingly needing to be more difficult than they needed to be. And this is lifestyle clients too, right? How much do you have to suffer to just get your result? And for general people in the general populace, if suffering is involved at all, they're not going to do it. So why force yourself to suffer Mm -hmm. if the road of caloric restriction over time is identical to caloric restriction in a restricted time window? So let me ask you, sitting there on the other end, being deep into prep, one show down, do you believe that the dependency that you have on fitness and on this competing as an identity would be less inferred by you psychologically if it sucks less? Less inferred? Like you don't feel as if the journey is working unless it sucks. Oh, yeah. No, you know I feel that way. How many times have I messaged you like, this doesn't hurt enough. I must be doing it wrong. So now I ask you to turn the mirror on yourself and go. No mirrors in this room. It's just you and me. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me. I'm the mirror, man. I'm the mirror here. So the question then becomes, is your dependency on needing to be in your level of controlled suffering deeply ingrained in how you see the benefit of fitness? It's got, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's. Initially, when you asked me, why did I get into bodybuilding? I think I realized it's it's very much the need to suffer. I needed to put meaning to my struggle. And this is by far one of the most struggling processes you can put yourself through. So, yes. So then now we dial that back to what we were talking about in terms of the medical industry. If we talk about the amount of muscle and I actually I'm going to use you as an example because my favorite part is going to primary care providers with the level of body fat that you have now or closer to the stage and the fear that doctors would have as it relates to women with low body fat percentages. I will first concede that amenorrhea or the loss of a menstrual cycle over a long period of time. My wife will attest to this because we had to go get her on hormone shots to get it taken off was that if you lose your menstrual cycle semi-permanently, it will affect other multitudes of your hormone releases and your general health and how you feel in terms of your alertness and things like that. But over very short periods of time, the panic in terms of how much muscle a body is supposed to carry and how much body fat it's supposed to carry, for me, just never held any weight because the vast majority of the population operates in this window of you can be anywhere in here and be relatively unscathed. And even if you're outside those windows and you're an outlier, if your hormones and your blood panels are all showing that you're generally of good health, it's sort of disingenuous for doctors to go, this is dangerous, as opposed to the same way they talk about the the negative side effects of the pills they offer and just saying, these are some of the negative side effects you may see if you continue to operate at this level of body fat or or this level of 
uh, muscle. You came off of a long offseason working through me, and now we're on your on-season. I'm going to ask you from a confirmation bias perspective. It's happened to you. I don't need studies. I just feel it. From off-season to on-season, be brutally honest. When am I ever anything else? Negative side effects that you have witnessed from being outside of a caloric deficit or outside of a caloric surplus during the off season out just i'm way in the caloric surplus versus okay. now i'm in a necessary caloric deficit what negative side effects have you yourself seen in the in the transition itself or are you talking you can about- compare the two you can do the transition between the two i can't speak for all competitors but i can speak for all competitors we fucking hate the bulking season. Being in that <laughs> range of weight, you hate yourself. There it is, folks. You know how much he hates himself right now? There it is. When we look like most of the population, it is a mindfuck. It is a mindfuck not being in... This is me. I like. I look like this all the time, guys. All the times I look like this. I can look like this. I swear. But no. But that's how it feels. That's exactly how it feels. Is like that's what I can do. I can do that. That's what I do. That is who I am. That is what I work for. Is that look all the time, every fucking day? That's what I do. That's who I am. So when you can't do that, the fuck is it? What? What am I doing? So let's say then. Do you and I believe, as competitors, that the medical community does not place enough value on whether or not the negative side effects of carrying too much muscle or too little body fat or competing too often, that one I will agree, it's too much, you can't can't be 0% body fat five years at a time, it's not good for you. However, we talked about this, what the medical profession would call a dependency on fitness do we believe you and i that they don't place enough value on the mental state in terms of controlling some level of depression and body dysmorphia by allowing this to be a gray area of until it starts affecting your life where you can't spend time with your kids because you have to go to three different gyms a day or your wife never sees you because she eats regular food and you can't smell bread like for me, it's that's been the main goal is to get doctors and the medical community to admit that we're in the extreme in terms of how we apply this codependency on fitness, but that realistically the negative side effects are highly manageable. Whereas if you are where we are, the negative mental and honestly physiological side effects are to a point where they would be a greater detriment to your health by not having that codependency than if you just admitted, hey, it might be a better option to just let this person continue to work out, right? We've both admitted, if the medical community told us tomorrow it would be bad for us to work out, we'd still do it, right? So, I'm now gonna ask you a very specific question. Okay. We've said, If a doctor told you that it could be bad for you to go to the gym, we wouldn't do it. 
there was a study done that everybody quotes about where people would take steroids if it cut half. I, I believe they said oh, if you would die in 10 years. I've heard this before. All athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And more than 50% said they would do it, that they would yeah. take the steroid even if they knew it would kill them in 10 years. And it guaranteed them an Olympic gold medal. If you knew that it was only a matter of time before competing as a figure pro at the highest level would actually kill you, based on where you sit right now, pretend like you do, you're not going to have kids, you don't care about any of that shit. That, I'm not pretending. I'm never having kids. Please don't use that kind of language around me, actually. I apologize. What, kids or shit? <laughs> what do you think? So, if you were told that you could be the best in the world today and for the next, I'll even give you 20 years, that you would be the best. But when you turn 45, that's it. It's over for you. You're dead. Would you do Um. Well, I'm already going to do it anyway, so I don't really need to... No, no, no. It's a guarantee this time that you will die at your 45th birthday. Sorry. I'm going to win. Um, God, you know, and and I've, I've, I've heard this set up before and I've heard what athletes say. <sighs> would you? I want to know because I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would. The fair answer is this. If you'd have asked me in 2010. I probably would have said yes. I think I'm I think I'm thinking alongside that. At a certain point in my life, yes. But then you get to a certain point where you're like, there is a lot more to this that matters that I could probably still do without. Yeah. That's where I believe I, I I could say that that's where I believe the addiction tag isn't okay because we do believe okay, there is a line to this. It's basically like saying, dude, I'll smoke weed, but I'm not going to do meth. You know what I mean? But at the same time, don't most addicts say something like that where they go, I could quit anytime I want, man. I'll, just, I'll stop whenever I want. I don't care. And then they don't. <laughs> you know. So there's that. But um, I think that now that I, I, I don't think, I know for a fact that if my kids came to me and were like, we don't want you to bodybuild anymore, I would have to find something else to do, right? Yeah. I, and that's because I brought them into this world and their dependency on me was made by me. My wife, love her to death. I would die for her. If she came to me and said, I don't like you bodybuilding, I would be like, you kind of knew what this was when you married me. If she said, the doctor said you're gonna die if you don't stop bodybuilding and I don't wanna live without you, I would probably have to stop. Yeah, for sure. I think I would. But again, if you'd have asked me when we were dating and I didn't have kids, I don't know. Back then, like you said before, when you're young and you're on social media or you're trying to become something or you're making a name for yourself, the end result is always, what's the ultimate carrot that's being dangled in front of me? And if the ultimate carrot is you will be notoriety through the roof, rich and famous, but you're going to be dead at 45. You live all 50 of your years in those 20 years by just existing because you're guaranteed. And again, this is a complete hypothetical. Nobody would ever be able to guarantee that. I get it, whatever. But that really is what it is, right? You, until you have something else that you're dangling in front of yourself. That's the thing is like, yeah, you live life. Eventually, yeah, those something else's come into your life. And sometimes they take over and they're more important, you know? But yes, at some point in my life, 
gun to my head, had to answer that question, yeah, I probably would have taken gold for 20 years. So here's our thing, right? We circle that back to the medical industry. How do we get the the, the medical... Go ahead. Right, right. I forgot. That's where this started. Yeah, right. How do we get the medical science? A doctor to understand something that is very, very small percentage of the population to begin with and also extremely difficult to understand and is different from person to person. Like, there's no way we walk in as bodybuilders and they're like, okay, so psychoanalytically this is what's going on with this person it's really important no no they're coming at it from like a the school of knowledge of health perspective like they're doing their jobs in the way they know how to do them but maybe they're smashing you know a a set a knowledge set that's not applicable to us it's like bmi we don't fit into bmi you know doesn't fucking work like that we'll put it like this they're taking the jagged, sharp edges that make up humanity and rounding them out with a belt sander. You know what I mean? Like these people who operate in the corners and, you know, the the general offices of bodybuilding and figure competitions and CrossFit and Strongman. And they're saying the extreme of those things is so generally and relatively unhealthy that the vast majority of people should never engage in those circumstances. This, so this reminds me of one time I made a post about when I was in prep and I was starving myself, right? Because scientifically, that is actually what we do. We starve ourselves. Bunch of people, don't say that. Don't say you're starving yourself. It's like, I am starving myself in the most like calculated scientific way possible that is almost not healthy, but like it's well done. It is controlled. It has been done by years of competitors. Again, and again, and again, like, we know what we're doing. This isn't, I'm starving myself. This is a fucking athletic feat we pull off. Like, so it's that kind of thing. Like, yeah, you walk in 4% body fat to a doctor, they're going to freak the fuck out because they don't really understand what we understand to get to the place that we're getting. Well, look at you answering phone calls in the middle of our fucking podcast. I mean, I literally canceled it on my phone and then it came up on my laptop. And I'm like, God damn it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was somebody trying to reach me about my vehicle's extended warranty. Um, so I think that for the vast majority of all of these arguments, you can even make that same analogy in terms of kind of sanding over the sharp edges of knowledge bases and applicability of those knowledge bases to the same way we're coddling the conversation about it, right? You're not going to walk it. My favorite doctor of all the doctors that have ever doctored in the history of doctors is the guy from the TLC show about, um, what is it? Is it my 600 pound life where at the end of it, they give them like gastric bypass surgery and then they try to get them to like not be fat anymore. And the guy is like my, one of my favorite quotes is the lady goes, you know, I haven't been eating the food since I've been here and I'm so hungry. Like, could I get a different food? And he goes, this is good food. This is good food for you to eat. That's what he sounds like, by the way. He's like an Indian guy. That's what he sounds like. And he goes, uh, yeah, uh, here's the thing. This is all good food. It's made by a dietitian, and, and this is the food you need. She goes, but I don't eat this. This is like dog food. I'm going to – if I don't eat soon, I'm going to starve. And he looks her dead in the face and he goes, you have about four years worth of stored food on you. You'll be okay. And then he just leaves. 
And he's just like, until you can get this eating in in order, like, I'm not going to give you the surgery. And then another guy came in, gets the surgery, and over six months, he only loses like a pound and a half afterward. And the guy's like, yeah, that's because you keep eating. And the guy's like, no, you know, I only eat when I'm hungry. And he's like, but you're lying. That's not true. Like, he tells them how it is and calls them, like, horrible names and shit. And I'm like, it seems extreme, but it works. So. He is the number one lead gastric bypass surgeon. It, again, if I'm wrong, tell me in the comments section. Okay, no, but okay, that makes total sense because I feel like he would be the type that would see the demographic, the worst of the worst, the people that have done this to themselves type of a thing. He has seen this pattern of behavior for so long. Eventually it just breaks you where it's like, you people are fucking bullshit and I'm so sick of your bullshit and if you're going to play dumb, I'm going to hand it right back. Like, I'm not doing this no more. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nutribio. Nutribio, with no compromise since 1996, they never hide behind proprietary blends and always tout transparent labels. With industry-leading formulations, all with clinical dosages of ingredients and products spanning from bodybuilders to athletes to just general health clients, Nutribio has exactly what you need to take your goals to the next level. Hit up Nutribio.com and use code word NATTY at checkout to save. And, and not only that, he will deny you the surgery or deny you aftercare if you don't do these things. And, like, the, the strange part to me is, like, he's, I don't think everybody should need to go through that. You shouldn't need to go into your doctor's office and get fucking roasted. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the Comedy Central roast, right? But at the same time... If what you're there for is honest feedback, I love honest doctors that are, have said my favorite one in the fitness industry is when you watch um, the King, Ronnie Coleman, his documentary by Generation Iron. Um, the doctor literally says to him, the, the screws have already broken in his back and the way that the surgery was supposed to be successful, it wasn't. He's going to be in pain no matter what. Do I wish he would stop aggravating it on a daily basis from working out? Sure, but at this point, I believe that would be so much of a detriment to Ronnie's actual emotional side effects and his mental state that at this point, as long as he keeps it light and moving, I'd rather him do that. That's a very realistic opinion to have. But most doctors would probably look at him and go, you should be telling him don't work out. He's, He's becoming a detriment to his own health. I'm not saying the guy with no medical studies, no medical degree, and no internships, none of that shit. I am smart enough to know I know nothing. I'm stupid, and all I'm doing is cursory surface knowledge information. But I do know with my vast majority of of the information I've collected from hundreds of clients around the world, that the people who are really ingrained in the fitness culture when they stop doing it are much much worse off and sort of trying to fit everybody in this box of being a a generalized body of uh, muscle and body fat and proportionality in terms of their hormones release in in a regular population density does not always work. And Layla sort of brought up the best topic of that as it relates to the BMI. The BMI structure was made to measure anthropologically groups of people. Again, I will concede the fact that on a general scale 70% of the time, it works for most people when you look at a BMI scale. However, I won the Amateur Olympia for my weight class two weeks after separating from the military when my 
primary care provider at my separation uh, um, appointment told me I was morbidly obese because of my high BMI. Yeah. BMI should really only come into play when these other risk factors for heart disease and these other things are present. I don't need my BMI, bitch. I'm healthy. I'm good. If you want to tell me my blood lipids are bad or, you know, you're taking a look at my stroke volume in terms of my heart, sure, I can get on board with that, even if the BMI is there or not. I don't care. The The real danger is in using that scale for everyone. I just, I don't know how we stop people from taking a scale of something that's that well known to be not working for the outskirts of the populations and go, yeah, but we can kind of just lean into it a little more and assume that most people it's right for. Our industry for sure is one that I think is an outlier that doesn't need that. But there's enough of us that that should be coming into the conversation, right? So I guess the question that I would have for you in terms of all of that is, in terms of a primary care provider, when you show up and they see you, not a call, not I typed it into the, you know, the computer. My question for you is, at what point does a doctor mention something that you go, I'm never coming back to this person. I'm going to let them finish their sentence, shake their hand and say thank you. And I'm walking out and finding a new primary care provider. Where is your litmus test for bullshit before you're like, nah, man, I'm not listening to this fucking fool. You want to know the last time I saw a doctor? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, rock and roll, man. You want to talk about being so fit and healthy and your body does the right thing to recover itself on its own? Confirmation bias, ladies and gentlemen. That's confirmation bias right there. Years, dude. Fucking years. I don't have health insurance. Haven't had it since I was 26. Not saying don't have health insurance. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I don't need it. Like, so I would ask I would ask you, because again, I... I'm talking to the side cam, talking to the front cam, talking to the microphone here. I did not know that this was a fact. So we're Layla and I are talking about this for the first time on camera. Do you? Fuck. So you believe? Suck it, nerd. And I would argue, arguably, I would say you are very fit, very healthy, no major health problems. You can kind of do a look and a feel assessment and go, "Nah, I'm pretty good." If you did decide. I need to go to the doctor. Uh-huh. Where would that range be? At what point does the healthy Layla who believes she doesn't need a doctor go, something's wrong, I gotta go to the doctor? Where's the first step? Not like Honestly, dude, if I if I walk in and I look at them and they're not healthy, the fuck I'm not I know more than you do. I'm not listening to you. You're gonna tell me to take vitamins. Fuck you. <laughs> like Actually, no, there's a good start. You told me to take a fucking vitamin, I'm out. Multivitamin, dude, you have to. You have to do it. You have to do it. Let's talk about the bioavailability of vitamins. We're not here, and the doctor goes, we're not here to talk about me, we're here to talk about you. Um, No, what I mean for you is, at what point do you decide? Like, yeah, the flu, the, I have a gastrointestinal thing. When do you go to the doctor? If something does not resolve itself, if I can't fix it myself... Then yes, then I'm going to go to a medically trained professional and see what their opinion is. Now, if it's a specific, like a gastrointestinal thing, and they're they're overweight, let's say not obese, they're just, they got a beer belly. Would you listen to them? No. Even though they're they're an expert in their field of gastrointestinal 
parasites or sicknesses or whatever, disorders. Your litmus test for not believing someone is even if it's their specialty. And again, I'm not saying you're right, wrong. I'm, I'm literally just, this is the conversation I like to have with people is the you're judging the cover in the medical field or you're judging the book in the medical field by its cover, even if it's a specialist. But in this particular scenario, the cover is the thing that they are supposed to be an expert in and doing. What if it was a, what if you're, it was a brain thing? What if you had a brain thing and you went in and the guy was kind of overweight, but it was about a brain scan. How about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, that also plays into like my knowledge about the brain is not that great. My knowledge about the body, I can kind of work my way through that brain. I'm kind of, I'm kind of left out to see. I might just have to trust fall on that one. And then like I was telling you, speaking of brain shit, Brandon, <laughs> get a second opinion, which is probably what I would do. I'd probably take whatever they said, go home, research the fuck out of it. Like, I don't really care if you're a doctor when I was in high school, I knew the kids that were going to become doctors, and I fucking hated them. Some were fucking jerk-offs. And though doctors are people. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nirvana Super. Nirvana Super is HMB-infused water formulated by Dr. Naji, who is one of the lead medical research scientists at Vanderbilt University. Originally used to help stop muscle wasting and trauma victims, as well as disease-ridden patients, this recovery tool boasts benefits like faster muscle recovery, increased joint health, a rise in physical endurance capabilities during exercising, and can even slow the appearance of aging. It also comes in some seriously good flavors and multiple delivery methods. So if you want to figure out how HMB can help you today, visit feelsuper.com and use Natty at checkout to save. My favorite joke is, what do you call the guy who was last in his medical uh, class graduation? Doctor. doctor. Doesn't matter. He's still a doctor, dude. They're just fucking people, and they can, they can tell you the wrong thing. They can do the wrong thing. Like Humans are fallible. We're all fallible. I mean, shit. It's a, it's a very extreme case, but anybody that would believe that the doctor that was administering nightly sleep medications to Prince and Michael Jackson, it's like, dude, any other doctor in the room would be like, dude, I don't care if it's Michael Jackson. This seems pretty fucked up, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah. You come across one bad doctor, and I have a lot of personal horror stories about that. Like, they can fuck shit up. Yeah, Layla wasn't tattooed the last time she went to a doctor, and then she woke up from the anesthesia covered in tattoos. Don't go to the doctor, guys. You'll wake up with tattoos. The fuck? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> go to the doctor. I'm going to the doctor right now. <laughs> right, yeah. That's how you get free tattoos. I'm there tonight, bro. Oh, yeah. Um, no, but... I don't know. I, I guess to answer your question, I don't know if there was a, a defining moment in time where this doctor, I, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is something that they could say that I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, fuck that guy. Or, hey, there's some misogyny there. It could be a woman. Female doctor. Yeah, no, they all they all only pants now. They all only pants. Uh, yeah, right. Listen, I, nobody's buying, if it was, <laughs> comment below. If I had an OnlyFans or if Layla had an OnlyFans, who would pay for what and how much money would you pay for it? I guarantee nobody signed. I have my mom. I signed up for it just to support. Okay. No, you know what? I'm going to save it for the podcast about OnlyFans because, man. <laughs> oh, I'm never getting an OnlyFans. And I'd love to tell you why. Anyway, 
So I think it would just be over the, you know, the course of the, the appointment, like gauging, vetting whether or not I trust this person, like anybody else, like anybody else. But there is a level and I, Look, we all have these gut reactions in terms of you see somebody, you see something, and you're like, ooh, predetermined notion coming out here. I would agree with you, man. If I'm coming to you for medical advice, even if you're a specialist, if you come in and you can't sit down without huffing and puffing and wiping sweat off your brow, unless you're a therapist, which even then I would argue like, don't you know you have a food dependency at this point? Um, Or a, a, a psychologist, anything in a physical medical field. It's basically like us not being able to, even though we're bodybuilders, to explain how a deadlift works. Sure, I'm not a power lifter, but at the same time, I may utilize a lot of the same relative draws from power, from drive, from segment length to be able to tell somebody how to effectively deadlift for strength, even though for us it's more about aesthetics. I think that you're right in the sense of judging that book by its cover is like, listen, you can tell me how to make my liver healthy but I guarantee that your heart isn't healthy. Like, I know I'm here for, how do I know that you're not just honing in on things that are buzzwords to tell me as opposed to using your medical knowledge to make people more healthy? And and I feel like that's a really good point is like, yeah, a lot of times I feel like what doctors do aside from distributing medicine or administering administering medicine is like this knee-jerk reaction of like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do and it's going to fix it. Like, I was telling you about my coworker, the doctor told him, that because of this pain he was having, it was probably his gallbladder and he should get it removed. So he was going to make an appointment with a nurse the next day. And I was like, let's call him Daniel. Daniel, do you know what your gallbladder does? And he's like, no. And I was like, what the fuck? You're going to get an organ removed? You don't even know what it does, dude? Well, here's my favorite part about that story you told me. And by the way, this was this text message that Layla sent me was the inception of this episode. Was that she has a coworker who was at work just working and asked a doctor customer, hey, I have this pain. What do you think I should do? And that was what the doctor said without any of his medical information, without any, hey, how long has it been hurting? Can you tell me if I touch here, does it hurt? Literally just told this dude over his fucking pasta, hey, go get this organ removed. How, how, how is the first response kind of always, how is it not diet and exercise most of the time? Like, the gallbladder creates bile, right? It breaks down fat, right? Why don't we work at a fucking Italian restaurant? Maybe you're eating too much fucking fat, dude, and your gallbladder is working over. Like, there are so many other ways to work around this. Like, but no, go get a fucking organ taken out of your body. I think for the two of us, the equation would be like seeing someone do a pretty good front double bicep and going, you should join the Olympia and then just leave. Like, that's it. Like, you could be the best bodybuilder in the world and then just walk away. Uh, I think that's how Phil Heath won his, right? Yeah, exactly right. I've only seen you for 14 tenths of a second, but listen, man, you're it, dude. You're the gift. So, and I can't say too much, but this doctor is big like he is a big big name like and for him to rattle off something like that there goes my faith in doctors like not really but jesus fuck like so i really then like let's ask ourselves that question does being a well-known advocate pundit mouthpiece talking head whatever this is why 
it's going to go like a little bit left to center here in terms of medical, but I'm going to talk in general generalities. And we will bring this up in a later podcast about a certain super popular uh, uh, Instagram person who is shining the light on people who may or may not be doing things right or wrong or indifferent. Um, when we talk about this large following of people, the reason a lot of people get mad when they just say something off the cuff, even if they say something like, I don't know, could be, like, I don't know, I don't really know, uh, you just have to make your own decisions. The problem is that when you are that, a very well-respected doctor, or even at this point, a well-respected figurehead, and you say something, it carries weight. If that weight would cause someone to do something, to feel a certain way, in this case being so much that they will go into surgery to remove their organs, do you not have some level of culpability in the sense of not being able to say, well, he could do whatever he wanted to do. I just gave him an option. But you didn't. He fucking trusted you, man. Like, yeah, yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. I'm sorry. You're 100% right. However, I'm going to split down the middle and say, if it's a doctor you're asking after you drop the breadsticks on the table, that one's kind of on you. However, if what you're doing is listening to a medical professional on a podcast on, you know, uh, a news channel, on their own Instagram. You're listening to them because you trust them. And I think that you're right in the sense of we as a society then have to say to ourselves, when I've amassed a following based on how people trust me, do I or do I not have a certain amount of moral and legal obligation to research everything that I say and give a disclaimer before I say it so that people will do their own research, or do we fall back to what we said on our previous podcast in terms of sort of a libertarian way of thinking, whereas I'm allowed to say whatever I want and you can believe whatever you want, whether or not you believe it's fact or fiction is really up to you to decide and to investigate. I, I agree that there is a level of personal onus. Yeah, yeah, right? There's a level of critical thinking that should still always happen, even if you like the figurehead that you're listening to. But I think after a while, or if you're a doctor, and there are going to be very real results, so you start observing patterns of people of, like, following behaviors because of what you're saying, that's when you got to check yourself, like, okay, well, critical thinking should be happening, but there's actually a very real thing over here happening that I might need to address, like, you know? Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't shoot the person, but I put the gun in their hands and pointed, you know what like I mean? The, I mean? the culpability of the accessory. Yeah, I, yeah, you, you end up becoming like a dealer, a virtue signaling dealer kind of a thing. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, the only thing we're dealing in is opinions and rage. So if you guys like our opinions and hate our rage, be sure to review, like, and subscribe, and make sure that you let us know in the comment section what you want us to have rage and comment on next. I want to thank you guys for listening, and on behalf of Layla and myself, this is Brandon Lirio signing off from the United States of America, and we'll see you next time.